buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. Hey, before we start today's episode, I wanted to bring you in on the best kept secret in B2B sales. If you're serious about social selling and your only strategy is cold DMs through LinkedIn, you're missing the mark big time. Learn how a fully managed revenue generating podcast can change your life and your pipeline at salescast.co. All right. Welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. I'm very excited to have Troy Barter on today. Uh, He's 16 plus years sales experience, nine plus years uh, sales, ex- uh, sales SaaS experience, building a following on TikTok and LinkedIn by posting non no fluff videos on sales strategy and motivation. We've got some uh, very good topics planned out today, and I'm excited to have Troy on. Been looking forward to this one. Troy, welcome to the show. Colin, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be on. Yeah. You don't sound excited, man. You got to sound a little more fired up. I'm pumped, dude. I'm pumped. I want to be too loud and, and, and jinx it. I don't hear kids yelling right now. And, you know, I'm just messing with you. Um, I know that we're going to have some fun, man. We connected before and, and chatted a little yep. bit. So um, just give us your, your sales story, um, you know, kind of the, the short version. And then let's get into sales leadership and personal branding, which has been a uh, big thing you've been focused on. And I know sellers can benefit from. Yeah, so I got into sales in a weird way. Um, I've I've been uh, in and out of of being a, a rapper since I was probably about eleven or twelve years old, and got into it pretty heavily when I was about eighteen, nineteen, and um, started to battle. Eventually, it was a battle rapper on King of the Dot, Grind Time, I battle. I started selling beats online. Long story yeah. short, and realized I was really managing a funnel. You know, I would go on SoundClick, pull up the names of every rapper and their email and reach out to them. And I would do time-based incentives. And it's like, man, like I kind of am good at this. I'm actually better at selling these than I am at making them. That's (laughs) for sure. And um, it led to me just saying like, let me get into sales. And I I only knew of car sales at the time. Like that was my assumption of like what sales was. Like that was the only sales that I 
could even imagine. So I um, I'll put an application at the local Chevrolet dealership in Tampa, Florida. Um, I remember telling them, uh, as long as I can make three grand a month, this will be good. And they're like, yeah, you, you think you can do that? Yeah, we, it shouldn't be a problem. And yeah, I, uh, I got in, uh, did really well, really enjoyed the car business outside of uh, the hours. Working 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. every Saturday, particularly in your 20s, is pretty tough. It's actually not why I left, though. I remember this um, doing a, a podcast with uh, with Corporate Bro and, and Ben Gould. I actually left because yeah. my license was so bad they couldn't keep me anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, and I was they, they were just like, dude, we can't have you driving the vehicles. We can't have you on our insurance. It's like, all right. So I got into um, what I thought was marketing was not marketing. They said it was marketing. It's direct marketing. So it was really a door-to-door sales company, 100% commission. And oh, a man, they found you, huh? Yeah, they, 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 they did. It's funny, like you get in there and it's, um, there's a whole bunch of people in suits in the interview room. It's like yeah. six people. They all look sharp. Like, like man, all right, yeah. I'm, I made it. Man, I'm glad I booked this interview. And then you get into the process and it's like, it's a wild smoke and mirror show where everyone's dressed in suits, but they're making nothing. Um, it was door to door, uh, a reseller of, uh, big brands like Verizon or Quill office supplies and stuff like that. And I was third in the country, um, uh, which was of hundreds and hundreds of reps. And I made 20 grand that year. Um, uh, cause wow. you got paid nothing. Um, yeah, I got my car repoed. I got evicted, um, cold showers for a long time. Uh, moved over to a That's better door place. I mean, to be yeah. the top and, be struggling financially like it's wild i think tech sales you don't get the perspective if you if it's all you've been in that like that's a lot of sales like a lot of sales is like that too much of it is like that people that want to get into sales and they don't know how to vet an opportunity which i mean candidly i'm still bad at vetting the opportunities yeah you know like but i i've gotten better over time um it's part of the reason why i do what i do on tiktok and everything like that like people think that we're like selling them this fake dream of tech sales like no this is like one of the really good avenues, not the only one. It's yeah. the one that I know, like, but they, that's, you know, kind of the big thing, but yeah, I, um, well, I, kind of I think for a, for a lot of people, like sales is their plan B or C or <laughs> D. Right. Yeah. And they're just like, I don't know, man, I'm just happy to have a job, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, man. It's, um, there's two, there's, there's more than two, but there's two glaring versions of salespeople, right? There's that like a player that's in there to stack a wild amount of bread, discipline, treats it like it's their profession, like they're a doctor or a lawyer even, yeah. you know, or a professional athlete, which is why ex pro athletes and college athletes do so well. And they view the opportunity that way and they push themselves to be as great as they can. They're reaching to the highest bar they can get. And then there's the other ones that are like, I ain't even want to do this shit. Like I'm standing on the bar that's right above getting fired. And as long as I can just stay on this bar, I'm good. And even if I'm not good, there's a million other places where I can sell. Like I can just get in, they'll hire me and I'll barely eke out an existence. And, you know, that's kind of not so much the case in tech sales for the most part, but in other sales, man, I mean, anyone that's in other sales that's hearing this is identifying. They know a million people that are like the person that I'm describing right now. Um, it's interesting. And it's all they're at the same opportunity. It's mm. all in how you view it. It's all in how you respect it and treat the opportunity for sure. Yeah. And I mean, to kind of dig into like vetting the opportunity, right? What are some things that people maybe looking to get into sales or looking to get into tech sales? Or if they're listening, they're like, yeah, Hey, I'm that guy. I'm a top producer. And like my financial situation still sucks. Uh, what do they do? How do they vet an opportunity? 
Here's how top producers where their situations suck can be really bad at vetting opportunities because I've, I've lived this. You've probably been a top producer doing a lot of small to medium business, um, high velocity deals, and you are used to talking the most. You know, you're mm-hmm. probably hearing people say the best salespeople ask the most questions and you're like, dude, no, they're not because I'm in here just like slamming deals down. Like yeah. I'm doing it nonstop. I'm talking 75% of the time or more. And you're used to selling yourself and your product. And then you start to vet opportunities. And what do you do? Well, you do the exact same thing. Mm. You get excited that you've got someone to sell on the phone because that's what you love to do. You like getting a deal in. That's all that you like to do. You don't do a discovery for the most part. So then it's like, all right, let me close this one too. I'm going to sell them on me and I'm going to land this. And congratulations, you did. But the opportunity was absolutely trash. You didn't do a discovery. No one's taught you how to do one. And you aren't even wired to want to do one because you need to be rewired a bit to be able to make that kind of money because the stuff that got you this far is not going to take you an ounce further, not an inch further than where you're already at. And I think the big things as far as like advice on how to vet outside of culture is do not get starstruck by the OTE that they're offering because the OTE is only one half of it. You can go at a place and they're like, hey, we're offering our AEs $280,000 OTE. And you're like, oh my God. Uh, How many people are hitting target? Uh, We haven't even set the targets yet, but it's June. Yeah, I know. We haven't set them yet, though. Um, You know, it's or we're setting them, but no one's hitting them or one person is hitting them. By the way, they're our favorite and we give them all the inbounds. You know, there's a million different versions of that. So it's OTE is important. But as important is how attainable is this target, yeah. you know, and don't don't kid yourself of like, well, I'm the best salesperson. I'm going to crush it anyways. The best salesperson also does the best job of finding the best opportunity. And if you can't do that, then you're, you know, OK, if you're the best basketball player of all time, but you're playing in my backyard, you're not just because you, no one will ever know. You know, your legacy dies with the last time you touch that ball. You know, it's the same concept. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and that example you gave there is not that far fetched. Right. So, and I, I think just, just kind of break it down a little bit, right. Is people that are top producers in companies that aren't making some real coin, um, typically are more transactional based reps and they have very, they haven't been trained in the sort of skills, uh, that you use in sort of tech sales or even a lot of service-based businesses where you run a discovery and qualify the opportunity and things like that in a proper way where it's like your ICP is not just whoever's willing to pull out their credit card. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. And yeah. so, uh, they, they, it's, they're sort of at a disadvantage, right? Because because they get into the interview and they don't know how to run a discovery on the opportunity of this job. Um, and, and so this is super helpful some, for some people to think about how they could approach this differently and not end up in another situation, just like the one that they're in right now, but at a different company. Yeah. I mean, and by no stretch, am I saying that you can't make money doing that SMB, you absolutely can. You know, there are people that make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year going door to door, selling alarms, solar. There's plenty of other options as well. And they crush it. Some of them only work in the summertime. You know, mm-hmm. I've heard of kids that are college kids. And then in the summertime, they go out, they travel, they sell, they're making six figures and then they're back to school. You know, so like it's doable. The reason why I veered off of that is and I didn't do a bad job at it. I think I did a really good job at it when I was working door to door is really, well, how viable is this long term? 
am I going to want to keep knocking these doors in five years? Am I going to want to keep traveling? Am I like, like at this level where I'm staying in hotels for a week back and forth? You know, is there a better way where right. I can make the same amount? And there is no right or wrong answer. The reason why I push tech sales so much is because I've done it since 2013. So I know it. I don't get in the habit of trying to push something where I don't know how to help people in it, you know, but it's by no means the only option. And the number one option is whichever one leads to the bag. Like, so, and it's different for everybody, for sure. You know, that's yeah. kind of what I, I try to tell people. We're not in pursuit of, you know, the perfect company. They don't exist. You're in pursuit of the bag, you know, as much as you can make for as long as you can make it. That's that, that's what sales is all about at the end of the day. If someone says they're in sales to help their customer, like that is a fringe benefit. That isn't benefit one. No one got into sales for that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how sellers, you know, you started to, when did you start to invest in your personal brand and start to create, you know, original content? Really heavily in um, like my professional personal brand in like February of this year. You know, I'd done it once before. I did a lot of blogging and stuff when I was a battle rapper in like 2010, 2011. And, you know, I started to think of things and, you know, you're, you're doing video. So it's like your appearance, how you carry yourself, what you're doing, what you're yeah. saying. Like I'd done that before. So I had a little bit of a slight, very slight leg up, but it hasn't been long that I've really invested in it in terms of video content. It was February. Mm, okay. And so what do you tell people that are, I mean, cause you've, you know, had some pretty good success and not, you know, not a very long period of time. Uh, what, you know, tactical things do you have for people to get started that are either like starting to think about starting their personal brand and invest into that, um, or maybe have started, but are maybe struggling a bit. So the beauty of a personal brand over everything else, if I can give you like the why of building a personal brand is it's your brand. Mm. Anywhere that you work, you're going to get paid a commission. If you're a manager, you might get an override or you might even get some equity. But the reality is you are building something for somebody else. <laughs> and when you leave, you lose all of it that you built. You hit the reset button on the game and you're starting over again. And it is heartbreaking, particularly if you're someone that's in middle management, but at any level where it's like, man, I'm just doing something that's not mine. And I will have essentially nothing to show for it besides my paycheck at the end of it. When you build your personal brand, you are not building it for the company that you work for. Not even at all, not in the slightest. You're building it for yourself because that carries everywhere else that you go. The ROI on that is higher than almost anything else that you can do because the larger that it gets, and it will always build if you stay consistent with it, the larger that gets, the better opportunities that you're going to get. Again, I started in February. We're at the very beginning of June. It's June 2nd right now. Like the um, amount of opportunity that I've got just from, all right, I'm just going to consistently post. And it was trash when I first started. And it gets better as it goes, you know, like, but another thing, so I would say it's, it's yours, you own it and you can do whatever you want with it. And the biggest regret that you'll have once you start is that you didn't start sooner. It's yeah. everyone's biggest regret is that they wish they had done it sooner. So do it now. And the other thing that people will say is what is it, like imposter syndrome? Yeah. So like, I think the best salespeople up front um, that, that really hit kill it out the gate and the best content creators are, are a little delusional. They think they're better than they really are. They think they probably have more to say than they really have to say. And they think that it's going to resonate with people more than it might right away. But that's better than the alternative. I think there's a culture of like, well, you should be really humble. 
you know, it's really looked down upon. You don't want to be that person from back in the day on American Idol that's like the joke person that thinks they can sing, you know, like, and they're like, well, I don't really have much to offer. I just started as an SDR. Yeah. You have everything to offer. Yeah. You, you show people how bad you're failing and how you're figuring it out. That resonates more than me giving SDR advice when the last time I was an SDR was 2013. Yeah. Who has the better advice? You in 2020 or me plucking shit from nine years ago? Like it's so obvious. So like you, you, you don't need to build any kind of personal resume ahead of time. Just start, just, just get going on it. You know, just sharing your experiences and the little things that you're picking up on is huge. You know, and you, you'll get better with time. You're going to suck when you start. But you're going to get better as you go, whether you're posting video or whether you're not. You know, I'd recommend doing the video side because I think it resonates better. It usually gets better engagement. But either way, it's it's helpful. Yeah, I think there's a couple things that really stand out. Uh, sort of chuckling when you're mentioning it is when you start, um, it's going to be trash, right? You said when you started, yeah. it was trash and it'll get better over time. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest, you know, we work with a, a lot of people, you know, that are just getting started with either podcasting or guesting on shows. And typically there's a lot of fears of they're going to suck. And rather than like lie to them and say, no, you're not going to suck. We tell them, yeah, you are going to suck, but you'll get better over time. And that's the same thing with creating content. You just have to embrace that. Like know that you're going to suck and be okay with that. Don't let that be the thing that holds you back from not getting started. Um, and then I love that you mentioned as well as like, you know, doesn't matter what title you have or how long you've been in sales or whatever the case is, like you have something to share. And, and what I found too, through talking to people is, and even with my own experience is if you start to just set a goal, right? Like maybe posting every day is too much at first, but maybe you say, I'm going to post three days a week or whatever the case is, some starting off point, you start to have a level of awareness that you're going to You've, you're going to be doing that. And so you start to look for opportunities or things to share, right? And so without like committing to that, there's so many things that are happening just in your regular day and your regular experiences in your, you know, find, landing your SDR job, breaking into tech sales, getting your teeth kicked in on the phone, whatever it is, you start to look for those things to turn, you know, them into something creative that you can put out. Yep. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I, the only other thing I would say is like building your brand. Yeah, it does help land deals for sure. People already know of you and everything like that. A lot of times fish will jump into the boat. But even beyond that, no one's like working for, you know, GM for 60 years anymore. Like it's not happening. Like you're going to go to other jobs, you know, and now people hop jobs probably more than ever, you know, and I just can't tell you how many VPs and C-level executives I've been in the room with or on Zoom with and we're talking about candidates for a high-level role. And literally the first thing that comes up is the amount of followers they have. Yeah. Like, oh, you won't believe it. This person has a hundred thousand followers on LinkedIn. And it's like, all right, like that's when that was part of the reason that got me going. I was like, so that's a real metric now. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I can whip ass posting content. Like you're telling, you're telling me that that's going to level me up professionally. And the funny thing is, the more that I do it, the more that I realize I don't want to level up professionally. I don't want to play in their game at all. I like, I want to, I want to build my own game. Like yeah. that's kind of like the realization over time. And I, it's like, all right, it's not if, it's when. Like when, when it's like, all right, no more of this. You know, I think I'm probably a better person at executing my own plan than I am at, um, 
running someone else's for sure. Yeah. And so I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, right? Because something that gets talked about a lot is, um, when you're creating content, right? A lot of times people get caught in this trap of creating content. That's not even relevant to who they do business with. Like if if you don't creating sales content, if you don't sell to salespeople, uh, if you're not selling some B2B sales SaaS, in my opinion, makes zero sense. Yep. Um, so what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's me right now. Kind of. Right. Cause like I, I, I work for, uh, I'm VP of sales at Rentalmatics, right? Rentalmatics yeah. is a car. They sell GPS tracking to car rental companies. Right. So all of my expertise and all of my content, which I have a lot of it is kind of self-serving. Like it's for salespeople. It's for people that want to do well in sales. And the real mission is like, I had a hard go of it, car sales, door to door. You know, we just talked about it. You know, I, I struggled heavily, even though I was a top performer. And it's like, I don't, I want to help other people by doing that. Is that helping me land any uh, car rental companies? No. no. Is it possibly hurting? Probably more than helping because sometimes I mess up and I curse more than I should. Yeah. And it's probably not helping things. Um but I, there's got to be some it, other long-term goal or something else that you're right, doing where it is a line. Right. Because if people look at my content and they're like, dude, like I want to do what you're doing. Don't do it yet. I've, I've hit the lotto twice at two companies with my stock. One got bought by Verizon for $2.4 billion. The other one was Panadoc. It turned into a billion dollar company. I had equity of both of them. So I have the ability to say, well, if, you know, I'm going to try to make sure that I stay within the grounds of everything, but I'm going to do me. I've had enough of the nine years of not doing me. And if that can't work, then I'll put all my chips in. And you can't do that if you're an SDR. Not, not yet. You have to be a little more careful with it in the way that you do things. And you should be thinking about that from a content perspective, you know, but the other thing is like, it's, it's a fine line between having it relevant to the people you're selling and, and accidentally posting stuff that's absolute trash that no one's interested in. You know, I'm in medical sales, man. I'm going to post the most exciting medical sales stuff. Right? <laughs> I'm going to talk about all these medical devices. It's going to have people leaping out of their chair. It's not going to happen. You know, so you've got to figure out kind of that in between. For me, I, I candidly, I just didn't. I just said, no, I'm I'm for salespeople. Like that's that's what I'm doing. My content is to help salespeople, and it's really a digital resume that if anyone was looking at me, it's like take a look and love it or hate it. That's what you're going to get because it's it's as real as I could possibly be. Um, it's not moving the needle in that respect. But I've seen other people that. You know, if you're if you're working in SaaS, a lot of times you're working with companies that are trying to get deals in it or they're trying to get a return on their investment. So when you're providing something that's sales related, but it's it's towards the niche that you're trying to sell, you can you can work it where it's it's helpful, you know, um, and either way, just building up that following is never going to hurt just from a landing a job perspective, even if it's not going to help you social sell as much as you thought that it might. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so I guess in some cases, you know, it makes sense, right? Cause I mean, you also have a consulting business, correct? Yep. Right. So it serves that purpose, but like, I guess in your case, right. With you, um, you know, being the, the vice president of sales at rental Maddox, I mean, like, I don't know, maybe there's just not so much that you, there's not a lot of sexy content that you could post about particular things. Right. So, um, and you know, more companies these days are 
cool with people having maybe something uh, that they do on the side or a side hustle or something else in addition to, you know, their job. So in some cases, you know, there's definitely some exceptions, but um, if you're an SDR and you're posting sales content, you don't sell into sales, you know, it just makes no sense to me. But um, I want to dig in a little bit into your, your thoughts and experiences, um, as a sales leader, right? So, um, you know, five times sales leader, three times in SaaS, you hit the lotto twice. Like what's your secret sauce to leading teams to make a success? Man, I think the biggest thing that I've learned, um, and I've learned through failing at it for sure, um, is really, I think it's a curse that top performers have when they get into a, a leadership role, is like they just want to impact that number. And and goal one is impacting your people way before you should worry about impacting the number. And it mm. sounds corny, but like legitimately, you'll lose your team if you don't do that. If you get in, whether it's a brand new team or not, but especially if you're taking over a team and you see glaring things, that levers that you could pull that would result in a windfall of extra closed one revenue, but you haven't built up your relationship with that team yet, do not pull that lever. That is beyond, it's like the last thing you should do. Uh, People, uh, most leaders at the C-level, VPs of sales that are gonna be your managers or even directors, they're gonna not let go of somebody because they missed a quarter. But you'll get fired very quickly if you lose your team. Mm. Once you've lost your team, you will not get them back. I've never seen a manager lose a team and get them back. I've seen a manager lose a quarter and get it back. No problem. That is the most important thing. That is the foundation that you build everything else on. And if you try to build that house before you build that foundation, you're not even building it on sand. Like you're building it on a cliff that has already got a mudslide on it. You're done. (laughs) There's no way. Like I can't impress that upon people enough that especially top performers, I get it. You let the number speak for themselves. The number here is not one that's quantifiable until you get your first survey and then it will be. So that's what you're actually playing towards when you first take over a team is that first survey. And then you have to maintain it with the rest of them. So you need to make sure that your people are happy. They're excited to work. They trust you. They believe that you've made the investment in them, in learning the product, that you've done all of those things. So they respect, trust you. They want to work for you before you try to make any changes whatsoever. Don't even suggest anything. Don't even ask them about things professionally until they haven't already built that up. You will have such an easier time as a leader, if you do that, and you will absolutely crush target more consistently if you do that. If you mm. don't, you're out the door fast. I promise you that. All right. So this is, this is, I love this topic. Um, let's talk about, let's say you're taking, let's go through, we're going to run through two different scenarios, right? You're taking yep. over a team, you know, you, you, you're taking over a team that, that already exists and things are not working, Right. And how do you build that foundation like you talked yep. about, or what are some things, what are some signs? How do you know if you've, if you've lost your team, like they're, you know, one foot out the door? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to tell even on, remotely just on a zoom, you can see the look in their face. Salespeople are do a really bad job of faking excitement. Like you're, you'll know, you'll, you'll have a pretty good idea pretty quickly whether or not you're losing them. And the way to make sure that you don't is making a pretty big investment from a one-on-one perspective. 
Um, you know, I'm a pretty strong public speaker, I would say. It took years to be able to get strong at that. But I did learn how to kind of, you know, in, in person, not as well on Zoom, win a room over it and have people want to follow me a little bit on that first impression. Um, that works, but it's temporary. You have to back that up with a boatload of one-on-ones and actually investing in people. It's kind of a trick that that doesn't last. It's not something that that, that, that you know you can maintain over time. You got to invest in people, like one-on-one. Actually, get to know them. Not about work. Not about any of that. Just get to know the person. You know, get to know why they're there. Get to know their history. Get to know. You should know every one of your people's why. Why they take the job. What's the, what's the, what's the bigger goal for you? What are you looking for? Not just professionally, but like most people get into sales because it's an ends to a mean. Well, what's, what's the mean? Where, where, what are you looking for? You know, and it's doing that in a way where it's not like a, a very cold and sterile discovery call. You know, you're getting to know them and it's the same as a sales call. You should make sure that they talk more than you do. I do bad at that as well. Um, uh, you know, it's my old SMB experience, I think, that I'm finally learning to shake free, but they should be talking more, you know, and the reality is you should really care about them. And if you don't, you shouldn't be in leadership to begin with. You, you need to go back to being an individual contributor if you don't actually care to lead people and make them better. It's not for everyone. I have a wild newsflash. Individual yeah. contributors can make more a lot of the time, you know, and they're not getting half of the headaches that you get as a leader. Trust me on that. So you've got to really care legitimately or else it's not worth doing. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Cause a lot of people I think get into sales leadership for the wrong reasons. Yep. You know, they think um, this is the way to yeah. make more money. And yeah. And I mean, in, in, in part ways it, it can be because there's only so much you can make as one person. Right. So like, okay, but if I'm managing a bunch of people, yeah, in theory you could make more, but at most places that's not the case. Usually the A plus player on the sales side as an individual contributor is going to make more than a middle manager. Um, uh, you know, they, they might not make more than a VP and above, but they're probably going to make more than a lot of directors. Um, definitely a lot more than the team leads. Most team leads that I see, a couple of their reps are making more than they are. You know, it's a real weird situation. So you better, you better care a lot about, about leadership, um, or else it's, uh, it's a weird road to travel on. Yeah. So a couple of things is one, you know, really invest in your people, right. And just getting them all fired up in a zoom call, (laughs) it's not going to cut it. Right. You got to back that up with some action and put the work in, you know, and really getting to know your people personally, professionally investing in them, um, to make sure you have that solid foundation and then hitting those targets, uh, you know, becomes not so challenging. Um, and basically what you said earlier is like, it might mean missing a quarter, you know, to get your house in order before you can start leading the, you know, a successful team. So the big leadership one, man, and I just, I just posted about this is like, don't, I think middle management, I've definitely been guilty of it in the past, especially when people were putting a lot of pressure on me that wasn't even warranted. You start to manage worse and poorly and you start to do things that actually don't help move the needle long-term. You saying that you've got a new strategy like is, is not the answer almost all of the time. The quite, and if you're a manager, the question that you should be asking is, are my reps actually executing what the initial strategy is to the highest of their ability or to the highest ability of that strategy? And the answer is almost always no. 
because I noticed that with managers, you know, I, not to not to hate on the dude more than the the world already has, but uh, with John Gruden, you know, I'm I'm in Tampa, so with the Buccaneers, it always was man, we need like a no, a new quarterback. Like it was like every year we had a new one over and over and over again. And it's like, all right, dude, like you can't make it happen with anything that you're given. Mm. And it, I think these middle managers tend to do the same thing where it's like, yeah, don't worry, man. I've got the new strategy that we're going to do. Dude, you're just going to keep doing that over and over again. You're never going to, you're never going to actually excel at them. Mm. Take the strategy that you already have and focus on executing that to the highest level of your team's ability before ever considering ditching your strategy. Because if you keep thinking that just changing the strategy is going to solve the problem, you're never going to know which strategy was the right one to use because you never got the most out of either one of them. So I, I think that's really huge. I know so many managers that do that. Like their answer to every problem is change in strategy. You know, and or they think new technology. They, oh, we, really yeah, now we got this new tool that's going to fix the problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it really is the answer, honestly. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like I just bought two things for our tech stack. I got Mailshake and I got Seamless for, for Rentalmatics. And yeah, that's going to help quite a bit because I'm everything there. I'm the SDR, I'm the AE, I'm everything. I am, you know, if you think that I'm going to sit there and cold call while I'm doing the 1500 other things, you know, I can only do so many of those in the day. I need something to help automate that for sure. Um, but it's not the, uh, there is no tech stack addition that is going to solve all of your problems. There's no way. No, you got things to fix. Technology can help accelerate your results, yep. you know, and increase your productivity. Um, but typically people want to buy the technology thinking it's going to fix the problem, right? Or, yep. or that's their new idea as a new strategy, right? It's yep. like, how many strategies can you have <laughs> before you run out of ideas? And it's like, didn't we already try that one before? <laughs> Yeah, man, it's uh, it's wild how creative they try to get, and eventually, yeah, it does turn into like they just want something new, and it's almost like blatantly obvious that you're 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 just switching to something that is blatantly going to be worse than yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> and I mean, every time you pick a new strategy, you're basically just saying the last one you had wasn't wasn't good, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Didn't you just pick that one too? Yeah, yeah. So, all right, Troy, thanks so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Pleasure, man. Any final thoughts? Where can people connect with you, follow you, all that good stuff? Um, I, I do have a final thought, man. We did one of these before and I, I wasn't happy about a couple of the things that I covered. And I asked you if we could redo it. And I just really appreciate your willingness to do that. man. Um, it's it, it, You had to do twice the amount of work on this. You could be talking to somebody else and have another podcast done. Um, so I really appreciate that, man. I think it was incredibly professional and nice of you to do that. Um, and outside of that, man, I mean, I'm just uh, on TikTok. It's Troy Barter Sales. LinkedIn, Troy Barter. Um, Instagram, I think, is Troy Barter. I mean, it's not, I'm not hard to find. I'm the same, same guy, same beard on all of them. And uh, yeah, if you guys, uh, if you're in sales and you have questions, DM me and I, I do my best to respond if you have a specific question and try to help. Awesome. Thanks so much, man. We'll drop your uh, social handles there in the show notes, make it easy for people to connect with you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review. It really does help us out. Share the show with your friends. And as always, we're listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop your feedback there, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community. 
and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.